Here's the great encouragement ahead of us today on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. It's a marvelous thing to know that God is going to continue to work even when things seem ruined and beyond repair. None of us are finished yet. Not a single one of us. We're all on the wheel. God isn't done with your life, not even close. It might be a real mess right now. It might be really difficult, not where you want to be, not what you thought it would be, not what you expected, not what you wanted, but God is still at work. The process is still ongoing. He's going to fashion you into another vessel that's going to make him receive all the glory. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing Someone has observed, in adversity, we usually want God to do a removing job when he wants to do an improving job. You see, those trials you're going through are actually working for us and producing something wonderful in us as we cooperate with God. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll take you to Romans 5 and see exactly what that is. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with more on the shaping, molding, and developing work of God. This is what trials will produce in your life as you cooperate with your father. Number one, it says that tribulation, verse three, produces perseverance. Those of you that have been with our study series for this season, you know this is a familiar word. It's the English, we also translate this word endurance, and it's the Greek word, many different translations, but it's the Greek word hupomone. It means to bear up under the load. Remember we learned that picture of hupomone, of a tree up on the top of a hill, and it's standing strong, and the winds and the storm comes, and the tree bends and it bows, but when the storm passes, it stands straight again. Hupomone. That's being added into your life and mind through the trial of my life. That the attitude of wanting to give up and wanting to throw in the towel and wanting to run away is common. And yet, in God's hands, he builds in you the willingness and the ability to not quit. And you bear up under. This, is, this kind of perseverance comes to us, you know, when you, it, it's like when you compare your trials with other people, and you, maybe you're watching the video today, and you go, man, you're just kind of thinking this, which is normal. And you think something like this, I don't think I could ever survive what they went through. And listen, you're not in their situation yet. So you don't have the strength that's needed to survive. That's why you feel that way. And neither did they when it happened. But when it did happen, God was there to give them the strength for the moment, that special anointing of God's grace to strengthen them. And now we know that whatever God would lead us and allow into our lives, we're going to have the strength to endure. Why? Because God uses the very trial to produce it in your life. It wasn't there before. It's going to be there right when you need it perfect supply, just like manna. You just have enough for the day. You have enough for the moment because of God's faithfulness. Number two, not only does tribulation produce perseverance, but secondly, perseverance, verse four, produces character. Character, that's the inward part of you. 
the inward part, character. The Old King James translates this experience, and the New American Standard translates this proven character. You see, trials work for the believer, not against us. And God is developing in us the very character of Jesus Christ through the pains. Because remember, lest we forget, the life of Jesus was filled with pain and trials, including the cross. All the interpersonal things, betrayal, hurt, pain, all of it. The Bible says this in Isaiah 53.3, that Jesus is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. God is developing character in us. Which reminded me of, you know, some false teaching that is in the church world today, and Scott alluded to it. It's the idea that in some circles of Christianity today, when men and women are taught that when tough times come, you should just rebuke the devil. That's just rebuke the devil. It's the devil's fault. It's the devil's fault. So, you know, the problem you're going through, you don't have enough faith. You don't give a much. You don't give as much as you should. You're not a good little Christian. So just rebuke the devil because the devil's in everything. He's behind the bush. He's in the sink. He's in your socks. And your whole problem is you don't rebuke the devil enough. So if you just start rebuking the devil, if you just had more faith, if you just gave a little bit more and did a few more good works, then you wouldn't face that thing. That is nonsense. That is not the heart. Do you really think God is like that? That, that God, he isn't going to heal you. He doesn't, he's not going to help you because you're, you're not doing enough for him. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God has done everything for us and we owe him our lives. We owe him our lives. I, I always trip on in this. I, I just, I want to give you some practical, because I, I look through TV sometimes and I come across these and you know, they're looking right in the camera pointing at me. You don't have enough faith. Just give to this. Sow seeds. You know, if you had more faith, you wouldn't be sick. Just sow into your heal, sow into your healing. And the guy, the dude's looking at me in the camera with glasses on. Does anybody get the irony in that? It's like, hey bro, why don't you have a little more faith for your eyes? You with me? Whatever you hear, you want to line up with the scriptures. Here's a guy putting some heavy trip on you when all the while God wants to remove that heaviness. Isn't that the invitation of Jesus? Come to me that you are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He didn't say go to the church to find rest. He didn't say run to your friends to find rest. He didn't say and a thousand other things that we substitute for a deep, personal, abiding relationship with Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. Character. Becoming more and more like Jesus through the trial. You know, I think too, sometimes you like, what, what if the trial was, as we learned previously, was sent by God? What if God's the one that sent you into the storm? And there you are rebuking the devil. And can't you hear the answer from heaven? Was God might say something like, don't rebuke it, it's from me. I'm using it to minister to you and change you. Here we are talking again, son. And, and don't rebuke it. You know, I, I as a pastor, I, I come, I, I serve many, many people and, and folks will share their issues with me. And, you know, somebody might come up and say, you know what, we're having really bad financial problems and we're having a hard time here and we're having a difficulty paying this bill over there. And, and I might ask them, well, how, how's your giving? Do you tithe under the Lord? 
Uh, are you a generous person when God speaks to your heart about helping your neighbor? Uh, how, how are you stewarding? What's God trying to show you through this financial problem? Or another family might come up and say, you know, Ed, our marriage is a wreck, it's horrible, it's difficult, and, and I might look at the husband and I say, well, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? And What's God trying to show you as a husband? And I might look at the wife and say, hey, are you submitting unto your husband as unto the Lord? What's God trying to show you through this trial, through this difficulty? And, and you think, well, Ed, that doesn't sound very compassionate or helpful. Or, but listen, maybe those answers come in tears. Maybe you're not there when I cry over the church and the pains I have to deal with and you have to live through. And What if that's exactly the Lord's answer to you? to have a brokenness. What is it, when is it that, that you cry over the sins of the church? And when is it that you are broken over the brokenness of others and you come into their life and go, what is God trying to show you? What's he trying to reveal? What's he trying to develop in you? The biblical response is still God's working. The biblical response is still God has a solution. He's growing you and reducing our flesh and increasing our faith. And you say, well, I don't like it. And I'll tell you what, I don't like it either. But I do love God. And I love the work. His plan for my life is far better than any plan I can come up with myself. And he's proven that time and time again, that he is working a work in our lives and yours. Notice perseverance, character, and finally, verse 4, hope. And I want you to combine four and five. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Because when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Hope. Perseverance, character, and hope. You see, hope is developed in my life as I go through a trial, big or small. Because as God brings me through it, the next time a trial comes in my way, I can look back and rejoice. And have hope that God is going to minister to me now. But hope is also encouragement because notice, hope doesn't disappoint. The hope of God does not disappoint. And if there's one emotion that shows up in the midst of trials, it's disappointment. We're disappointed in ourselves. We're disappointed in our spouse. We're disappointed in God. We'll even begin to verbalize that. We're disappointed in the church. We're disappointed in the leaders. It seems like everyone has failed. But listen, God hasn't failed. Hope does not disappoint. True hope in God and faith that he's given to us, even when we were without strength, he reached out to us. How much more now? By faith in him. So hope doesn't, hope doesn't disappoint. It encourages us. Why? Because God will not allow us to stay at the same place spiritually. He will not allow us to hide sin. He will not allow us to pretend and play. He will not allow us to stay. He wants to move and to shape and to add and to subtract which leads us to the final illustration I want to leave with you today. Would you turn over to Jeremiah chapter 18? Jeremiah chapter 18. You guys with tablets and phones and everything, I beat you. That's how fast. I'm much faster with my Bible than you are with your little tablet. And then you miss it and you hit a different one and no, nope, I'm already here. I've already read it before you got there. I just want a little bit of laughter. These studies are heavy. So let's have a little bit of laughter. Because God does love you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he's poured out his love into you so that now he's not just serving from the outside, but he's developing on the inside. Nobody can do that. Religion can't do that. Man can't do that. Church can't do that. Friends, family, parents. Nobody can touch the inside of a person but the Spirit of God. 
Only he has access to the inside. And he starts first on the inside, and then the outside follows, which is why we make a great mistake when we judge people outwardly. We make a grave mistake. We need to be open for the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of discernment and understanding because you could look somebody in the eye and not know that they have the testimony that we watched today. Just be open. Be careful. Now, Jeremiah here is given a task. He has a very hard ministry. He's known as the weeping prophet. He's sent by God as he cries over the lost nation in their idolatry and in their forsaking of God. And he has a message to repeat over and over again. But in this case, God had a word for Jeremiah that he was going to send him to a house to see something and also to hear something. So notice in verse 1 of chapter 18 of Jeremiah, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I'll cause you to hear my words. Then I went down, verse 3, to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. And let's stop right there. The vessel that the potter was making was marred. If you like to write in your Bibles, again, circle the word marred and write the word ruined. Ruined. It was ruined. You get the idea from the Hebrew, good for nothing, broken. In our society, what we would say is whatever's ruined, throw it away and get a new one. That's how we approach ruins. We just look at it and go, you know, there's no hope, there's no nothing, and and here he is. Here's the potter. The potter's doing exactly what he does every day, all day. He takes a lump of clay, and he puts it on the wheel, and he begins to spin that wheel, and he fashions it into the vessel that he wants. And so this is an illustration. It's an illustration. Let's make some connections. The potter, the potter represents our loving Father in heaven. That makes the lump of clay, who's that? That's us. So you're just a lump. Just understand that. You're a lump. A lump of clay. And the wheel? Well, the wheel represents life and life's experiences. And sometimes the wheel spins fast. Sometimes it spins slow. But the wheel's always spinning. So here's the Father, our loving Father. Navigating the circumstances of life. Taking us as the lump that we are and plopping us down on the wheel beginning to make something out of us. And there he is, as he's making something out of us, what happens? Marred, ruined. Everybody watching Jeremiah, watching there, he says, oh man, if you're not a potter, you don't understand the whole dynamics. You're just like, well, it's ruined. All that time, all that energy, everything is just ruined. And friends, we are surrounded by people in life that feel like they are ruined beyond repair. We are surrounded by people because of the decisions they've made and the situations they're in and the pain they're experiencing. They feel like they're ruined beyond repair. And I've been sent by God to you today to remind you that in Jesus Christ, no one is ruined beyond repair. No one is ruined beyond repair. Because we stopped on purpose. We stopped on purpose because that's where many people stop. My life is ruined. My life is ruined. Wasn't that Naomi's? Isn't that where she was? I can't help you. I can't give you another son. I can't do anything for you. Everything's done. I went out full. I came back bitter. I can't help you. Go back to your own false gods. That's where she was. My life's ruined. 
Don't you come into my ruined life because it's ruined. But she was stuck on herself and in all of her resources. She was accurate. She could not provide what this girl Ruth needed in her life. She couldn't provide it. But she was limiting the solution to just herself. Because I want you to read on. It says the vessel that he made of clay, verse 4, was marred where? In the hand of the potter. That makes all the difference in the world. In the hand of the potter. In the hand of the potter so that he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. That's encouraging. You know, a lot of times this verse and this section of scripture is used in the debate of Arminianism and Calvinism and it's just a distraction. It's not what it's about at all. We're being introduced like Jeremiah was into a loving father who takes good care of his lumps and he fashes them. You know, I, I, I'm not an expert in pottery, but I've talked to people that do this. You know, Mike and Pam Roselle were here many times to do their presentation. I'm just a curious person. I ask a lot of questions. And I've learned, and I've learned this by, by listening to Mike specifically, that when the potter takes the lump of clay and puts it on the wheel, he already knows what he's making. We don't know what he's making, but he already knows whether it's going to be a nice vase or it's going to be a nice bowl. Or, he already knows what it's going to be made, but we're watching it being made so that when it's marred, we're like, oh no, the vase, the vase, it's ruined. And the potter said, no, 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 it's going to be a bowl all along. And then he fashions it up, puts it together, and this is what I wanted to make. You see, Jesus even taught us this. When he talked about the security that we have in Christ, he said, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You're a lump on the wheel of life in the potter's hand. That even if today you feel like things are ruined and the pain is so bad and it's so difficult and you're shocked about the marring in your life, just understand this. The potter's going to continue to spin the wheel of life and he's going to make you into the vessel that he desires that's going to bring him the most glory. He says he's going to make it, the, the vessel, as seem good to the potter. As seem good. You serve a loving father. And I know the wheel spins, man. It gets crazy. You get dizzy. You just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen here. And then you slow down. And other times you're in a stage of life where this wheel spinning, what you think is too slow. Speed it up. Speed it up. And yet we can trust by faith in Jesus Christ, that he's the author and the finisher. He controls the speed of the wheel. He's the one that's going to put the thumb in when he needs it, or fashion this, or take this, or pull this, or softly everything about the Father. You can trust him, because it would be scary if we didn't understand the character and nature of God as he's revealed himself to us. Like the Bible says in Psalm 25, that all the paths of the Lord are merciful and truth. In Psalm 19.9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of God are true and righteous. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 76, Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word. God is love. He's good and holy and altogether righteous and faithful. So much so that there's a verse that I hang my life on so many times where the Bible says, even if I'm faithless, God remains faithful. His faithfulness endures for all generations. 
We don't have to be afraid of the work of God in our lives. He's in charge and he can do what he wants. And we know what whatever he does is going to be good and faithful and bring him the most glory. That means we can trust God. As we'll learn in our next few studies, we're going to learn how God works all things together for the good. We're going to learn that in the depth of what is taught here in Romans later on. It's God is good. We can trust him. We don't have to fight his plan. We can surrender and submit to him and come to him, like Micah says, with humility. In Micah 6, 8, the Bible says, And he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does God require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a marvelous thing to know that God is going to continue to work even when things seem ruined and beyond repair. None of us are finished yet. Not a single one of us. We're all on the wheel. God isn't done with your life, not even close. It might be a real mess right now. It might be really difficult, not where you want to be, not what you thought it would be, not what you expected, not what you wanted, but God is still at work. The process is still ongoing. He's going to fashion you into another vessel that's going to make him receive all the glory. For Jeremiah, the application was clear to Israel. He's given him another chance. He's going to give him another chance the God of the second chance and the third. The application for us is pretty clear. God wants to keep us, he wants us to remain moldable and soft in his hands. Because if a person has a hard heart and stubbornly resists God's touch, then God has a right to deal with that stiff, stubborn clay. And he will. As the wheel spinning around, Isaiah 45 verse 9 says, Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Let the pieces of clay fight with the pieces of clay. But shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Submit to his handiwork. God is developing your lives, all of us. He's building character within us day by day, giving us the strength to endure, giving us the needed character to give testimony to his faithfulness, developing in us hope that is encouraging because hope never disappoints. God always comes through. Trials, temptations, pains, problems, sorrow, sadness, they're all a part of the package. And we learn today from Paul that trials, we can learn to glory in them one day soon because we know that they produce in our lives that which doesn't exist presently. Which reminded me of a poem that I read many years ago, but I use in these studies on trials from time to time, I want to read it to you again. It's from a woman by the name of Florence Willett, and she writes very simply, and I quote, I thank God for bitter things. They've been a friend to grace. They've driven me from paths of ease to storm the secret place. I thank him for the friends who failed to fill my heart's deep need. They've driven me to my Savior's feet upon his love to feed. I'm grateful to, through all life's way, no one could satisfy. And so I found in God alone my rich, my full supply. What a beautiful poem and a fitting way to end today's discussion on the shaping, molding, and developing work of God in our lives. You've been listening to Abounding Grace and part of Pastor Ed Taylor's series, Help for the Troubled Heart. I'm happy to say this entire series, Help for the Troubled Heart, is available to you on a customized USB thumb drive. We're making it available to our listeners for a limited time for a donation of $25 or more. Maybe you can think of someone you'd like to give this to. 
Order it today by calling 877-30-GRACE. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to stations like this every day. But we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit calvaryaurora.org or call 877-30-GRACE. As we're learning through our present series, God has the help we need when our heart is troubled and we're discouraged. And at helpforthetroubledheart.com, you'll find resources that will encourage your faith and lift your spirit. Again, drop by helpforthetroubledheart.com today. We'd also like to pray for you and whatever situation you find yourself in today. We'd be honored to go to the Lord on your behalf. So email your prayer requests to prayer at calvaryaurora.org. And we have a couple of apps we'd like to recommend that are free and available on all platforms. Search for Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps. You'll be able to access Pastor Ed's teachings there. Next time on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will go into much greater detail on how God is working even in the most difficult trials of life. We hope you can join us when we'll open Romans 8 and receive more help for our troubled hearts. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.